two weeks ago, I took a look at the first portion of one of the most well-known parables the Lord taught, known as the parable of the sower. And we focused on the first portion where the parable is given. So let's read that again. My subject this morning is what gets in the seed's way. Luke chapter 8, I'll begin reading in verse number 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke, a, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he said these things, he cried, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. As I mentioned two weeks ago, we began looking at this parable of Jesus and focused on verse number 11 in Luke chapter 8, which we'll read in a moment where the Lord makes it clear that the seed is the word of God. We made it clear that the word of God is the same in each situation. Also, what we discuss is that what's clear is that although there were different results that were achieved, there's nothing wrong with the word of God. There's nothing wrong with his, his stance, his ways, we made it clear that the word of God, although other people might disagree, needs no revising, needs no updating, doesn't have to get with it. If the word of God is not working in someone's life, the problem isn't the word of God. It is the soil upon which it has fallen. So today I want to take a look at the explanation the Lord gave for the parable. Luke chapter 8, let's go to verse number 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that, are, that fell among thorns are those who when they heard go out and are choked with cares, riches, pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart keep it and bear fruit with patience. Again, the seed is the word of God. Jesus relates four places where the seed fell. The wayside, the rock, among thorns, and good soil. Now, if you're like me, and in order to see clearly, you need these things on your face. That's because without them, 
you have what they would call distorted vision. Everything is out of focus, unclear. If you were to call me and say, can you give me a ride someplace? I would say, sure. You would want me to have my glasses on. Because that's how I'm going to see things clearly. And you'd want me to see things clearly, like trees, poles, people, <laughs> traffic lights, law enforcement. So in order to fix that, back when I was 17 years old, I got corrected vision because it was needed. Because the thing is, until you get glasses that are designed to correct your particular vision issue, you may not even realize that your vision is unclear. In this parable, Jesus makes it clear that the seed is never the issue. The issue is how conducive are we, our hearts, to the seed taking root, taking deep root, and growing. And if we are not, the seed by itself is not going to help us get to where God wants us to be and has designed us. Now, people will see him, will see his ways, and will see his people. But we live in a, in a time where they see us with distorted vision. Not only is the word of God what our lives are founded upon, the word of God is also where we get clarity about what life is. And without it, your vision is distorted. When it's hard to see things, the best way forward is to find a way to get clarity. In verse 12, Jesus introduces the enemy, Satan, for the first time in this parable. So let's be real. The enemy of your soul does not want you to know the word of God. The enemy of your soul does not want you growing in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he can prevent the word, and if he can't prevent the word from taking root, from taking its place in your heart, he will do anything in his power to find some way to distort it so that you can't see clearly. He will try and impact your ability to see God for who he really is and how he has revealed himself in the scriptures. So let's look at these four different ways, these four different places the seed fell. The first one in verse 12 was by the wayside. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. That same parable of the sower is also found in Mark chapter 4. And where Jesus begins to explain the parable in Mark chapter 4, verse 15, he says, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. Luke's gospel is focusing on believers because he says about believers being and people being saved. 
Mark expands that to anyone hearing and receiving the word. And the point I want to make in this situation is that the enemy looks to take the word away from our hearts immediately. Did you ever notice that you've ever had a really amazing time in the Lord? Wonderful church service. You go away on a retreat. It's awesome. You just can feel the worship. And just then, something comes in your life to try and bring you down. A great retreat followed by really, really bad days at work. Now, we have really bad days at work anyway, but they just seem to be magnified when they follow really, really great times in the Lord. Great time in church followed by a not-so-great time at home. Now, I'm not saying that in each of these situations it's the same cause, that it's always going to be satanic activity. But you can have bad days at work without having good times with the Lord. But the devil knows how the seed works. It takes time to grow in your life. That's why Luke says, with patience. It takes time and care. And so he wants to take the word from your heart. Now, there's a quality that most people don't admire. And most people, when they talk about it, talk about it in not so positive terms. But I'm going to encourage you to be something that I think will help in keeping the word in our heart. And that's being stubborn. Anybody here have the ability to be stubborn? Amen. I know we have the ability to be stubborn in other areas of our lives. I know we have the ability to be stubborn when it comes to cooking. And I need to turn this way as I talk about this now. I know we have the ability to be stubborn when it comes to how you make Spaghetti sauce, excuse me, gravy. I corrected myself. We can be stubborn in so many areas, yet when the word of God gets planted deep within our hearts, we need to be stubborn and tell the enemy, you're not taking this seed from my heart. It's going to grow and get planted and accomplish what God wants it to do in my life. The enemy wants to take it away. He wants you and I to think about other things. He wants your focus to be on something else. He wants your focus to be on anything else. Now, many of us in our homes, because that's the way the times have come, have HD televisions, those flat screens. Uh, everyone remembers those boxes? In ones that didn't have, a, uh, what are those things called? Remote controls? I keep telling everybody, growing up, my TV had a remote control because it was me. My dad would say, change the channel, and miraculously, it changed. But remember when you got your first HD TV? Going from that box to this flat screen that provided unbelievable clarity. You got to see things so clearly, even things you probably wasn't 
wanting to see so clearly. I didn't know, I, I didn't need to know how many wrinkles all the actors had. Or the flaws in each actress's face. But that is clarity. And before we come to Jesus, our lives are distorted. People think they see clearly, but when the light of the gospel begins to shine in each of our lives, then we realize just what clear vision is. We're born with distorted souls. And Jesus wants to give each of us a sort of, I don't know, spiritual HD experience to see life, to see other people, and yes, to see yourself as he sees you. The devil wants to get in the way of that. He'd rather your vision of you, of others, of the church, of him, remain distorted. And he wants to do it quickly, immediately, Mark says. When I see things that go on in our world today, it can amaze us. But honestly, my first thought is not anger. It's not outrage. It's sadness. Because what I see is blindness. People who are looking at life with distorted vision. And yet, it isn't that they're blind. They don't see clearly and without Jesus people will see everything in a distorted way and before we start complaining about the world being distorted the church needs to make sure we're looking at things with clear vision we need to guard our hearts and make sure we're hearing the word of God and then put on that stubbornness that we apply to our cooking and make sure that we keep the word deep within our hearts. We need to guard our attitudes and receive the word of God, of God with gladness. And we need to approach the word of God with tender hearts. With tender hearts. Otherwise, when we come to a place to hear the word of God, but our hearts aren't tender and our attitudes are in the way, we're basically telling the enemy, oh, I'm going to go hear the word of God, but you've got my permission to take it away immediately because I've got this attitude problem. And he says, oh, well, I know about that, so here I come. We see hard hearts everywhere, everywhere we turn. Having a hard heart spiritually is basically and intentionally and purposefully resisting God. That can't happen in the church. Our hearts must never be the soil by the wayside. We need to be tender. Then he went on to verse 13. The rock, or as Mark would put it, stony places. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. If the devil can't snatch the word from your heart, he's got a backup plan. Time. Trials and persecution. 
He'll get people in your life or having you talk to yourself or he'll be talking in your ear. You really believe this Jesus stuff? Why do you spend so much time in church or with Christians? That book you're reading, there's nothing special about that. When the word of God enters our hearts, it will challenge those things that need to be challenged. It won't just come in and leave everything the way it is. Thank God. God's plan is to make you better than you ever could have imagined. It will challenge attitudes we've held on to for a long time. It will challenge areas of our flesh that have not been surrendered. It will challenge areas of unforgiveness. Now, I know none of these things are simple. But the ultimate goal of the word of God is for us to see clearly. And anger and resentment and pain do not bring clarity. They bring distortion. They get in the way of our ability to see the way God sees when angry, all we see is what made us angry. That's why we need to not be have the seed falling on rock or stony places. But pastor, you don't know what that person did to me. Do you know what they called me or said to me? I'm not saying the anger is not justified. I'm not saying that a process of reconciliation is not in order. I'm not saying that steps to earn trust or re-earn trust may not be needed. But holding a grudge is basically holding a bitter pill inside your heart. And that's not going to hurt, first of all, the other person anyway. And it's going to get in your way to see clearly. And that seed won't take root. And God wants better for you. God doesn't want you to live in anger. He doesn't want you to live in resentment. He doesn't want you to live in pain. He wants you to experience joy. Joy unspeakable. It's a passage that I've heard probably since I was a teenager. And I've heard it many times. And it was only recently in a posted on social media about it a couple of months ago. And I think about it often. We all know, and we'll celebrate next week, the Lord's table, when Jesus gathered together his disciples at that supper. And they're gathered there. And in John's gospel, he then proceeds to take the towel from his waist and he washes the disciples' feet. Every single one of them. And then three verses later, it's, he's then talking to Judas, who then says the betrayer is here and tells him to do what he has to do. And that passage has struck me, especially in our culture, because Jesus bowed down, got on his knees, and washed the feet of someone who was about to be the reason he was going to be caused pain and torture. Someone says a cross word to us, and we won't talk to them for months. That's not the gospel. 
That's not the faith that we've been called to. We've been called to wash the feet of Judas. Yeah, I figured it'd get pretty quiet when I said that, but that's okay. I'm not afraid of quiet. We want the rock to fall on good soil, not on rocky places. The next place, which is probably the easiest to preach about, is the rock fell among thorns. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. If the devil can't defeat you by using what's inside you to reduce the impact of the word of God, he will then turn to what's around you. The image of being choked here brings for me the mindset of a fish out of water. You take that fish out and it begins to choke. Allowing the cares of this world to become a greater reality than the word of Almighty God. Now let me be clear, the cares of this world are real. But when they're put next to the reality and the power of the word of Almighty God, they take a back seat. Allowing the desires of life's pleasures to remain the ultimate reason for being. My ultimate goal in life since Jesus saved me was not to have a nice house. I want to have a nice house. I'm thankful for my home, but it isn't why I exist. It isn't why I'm here. My ultimate reason for existing is not the job I have that takes me into Manhattan. Lord, no, it's not. I'm thankful for that job. I'm thankful for the expenses it covers. I'm thankful for God providing for my family through it. But it is not why I exist. You and I exist to bring glory and honor and praise to the name of Jesus Christ. A mature Christian realizes that the greatest pleasure in life, talking about pursuing life's pleasure, is knowing Jesus. And then knowing him more. Now, there's nothing wrong with pursuing things in life as long as we understand they're things. Vacations to special places are good. Having a nice home is good. Making a comfortable living is nice. But these things are not why I'm on earth. They are not why I exist. And they are definitely not what Jesus saved me for. He did not save me for the New York City subway system. And if he did, you need to talk to me clearly because I don't see it. The word that takes root in you can no more survive inside you when this world's pleasures are our number one concern than a fish can survive out of water. Our life principles are from the word of God. Our life perspectives are from the word of God. And the reality is our life's pleasures, the definition of what is pleasure, should come from the word of God. Now imagine something. I want you to think honestly about this. Imagine someone offered you $10 million 
Calm down. I haven't finished the story yet. But that $10 million has one condition. At the end of one year, you've got to end your life. On purpose. So only one year to enjoy $10 million. Most would, I'm hoping, most would say that's crazy. And if that's not crazy to you, please talk to me later. Some might consider it depending on how good life has been to that point or what they're going through at the moment. And some might consider it depending on how much life has already been experienced and their perception of how much time they have left. But most would say no deal because they understand life is so much more than money. But this is what Satan does. He tries to make us think that the riches of this world and the pleasures of this world and the pursuits of this world and the agenda of this world is more important than the word of God taking root and seeding in our lives. The pleasure of this life, the devil would have you think, are greater than the word of God. That this life, enjoying all that it has to offer, is better than you and I receiving that precious word deep within us. There's just one word for that kind of thinking. Lie. And it comes from the liar. The prince of lies. The wayside. The rock. Thorns. Good soil. Verse 15, but the, one, the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear with and bear fruit with patience. That word there in Greek for keep literally means to hold fast and to guard. Bear fruit, and I love it, with patience. This is not a sprint. This is not a race. There are things that we all still need to learn. Who of us here has learned it all? Nobody better raise your hand. Keep that hand down. <laughs> Thing is, when you first receive the word of God, and this happens not just when you're newly saved, this happens throughout our Christian walk, you may receive the word of God and may not fully understand what you've received. That's why it needs to be received with patience. Let God work in you so that fruit is produced. But pastor, what are you talking about so that fruit is produced? Great question. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, verses I'm sure you're familiar with. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When the word of God takes root on good soil and a tender heart, when the word of God is protected and given time to grow, spiritual fruit is produced. When the word of God goes deep within us, you will be more loving. You will be more joyful. I've said this a lot recently because maybe it's just come out of me. I can't deal with 
people in the body of Christ who say they have God's love, who say they have God's joy, but they don't let that out of their face. If you're happy, show me. If you're happy right now, smile. Come on. Smile at me. Not bad. If the word of God has taken root and accomplished what God designed it to do, you will be more peaceful. We've come out of, and, and in large part, are still part of this pandemic situation, but we have learned to trust in Jesus, and that trust brought peace. And the one we try and skip over, you will be long-suffering. Let's reverse those words. That means to suffer long. <laughs> long. Not just for a moment. And not only that you will be long-suffering, when the word gets in there, you'll be more long-suffering, which means whatever you were able to take before, you'll be able to take a whole lot more. You will be more kind. It's a lost thing, be just being kind. You will have more goodness to give to others. You will be more faithful. You will be more gentle. Our culture is of the mindset that gentleness is weakness. But they don't realize, given some of the nonsense they throw our way, how much strength it takes to be gentle to some people. And I'm so glad Paul didn't leave this out. As the word of God goes deep within us, you will have greater control of you. Self-control. This is an amazing parable that really speaks to all of us about receiving the word of God. We read it from Mark, from uh, Luke chapter 8. I want to read the parable, the explanation of it anyway, from Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse number 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Then likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so endure for only a time. Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Verse 18, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in choking the word. And it becomes unfruitful. But, the ones, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Whatever it is in your life, it starts with the word of Almighty God. I thank God for the times we have in worship. I thank God for the times we have in prayer. We must always come back to the word of God. His word is alive. It isn't just some book that was written thousands of years ago. It's 
alive and well today. It doesn't need revisions. It doesn't need updatings. It doesn't need people's opinions from today. And it certainly is going to be fine and relevant in history. So many people say, well, if you follow the word of God, how will history look at you? I'm concerned with how Jesus looks at me. Not history. All this begins. A seed taking root in good soil. And our job, your job and my job, is to let nothing get in the way. Things try to get in the way, don't they? You're going to have a great time in church today, perhaps a great rest of the day. But you know what's going to be tomorrow? Monday. And some of you may go to, to an office or work from home, but still interact with coworkers over various forms of virtual communication. And they'll ask you what a great, what, what kind of weekend you had, and you'll say, great. You'll ask them the same question, and they'll tell you all the problems they had, all the issues that come out. And you can't say great, but that's where we get to let the word go deep and demonstrate, demonstrate that there is a greatness in the word of Almighty God. It changes things. It changed me. It changed all of you. Don't let anything get in the way. Stand with me, please.